Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Chester Bree. Green, Lansbury, Hogan, Nyland. Nyland fell into his own net under no pressure while holding a football. <laughs> he was a goalkeeper. That wasn't the worst thing he did that month. Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Football as we know and love it. You know all is right with the world when when Ollie Watkins is scoring goals, Villa's young guns are running riot, Jack Grealish is getting fouled and Spurs players are being booed off the pitch. (laughs) Nature is healing, football fans are back and after 45 minutes I'd say Spurs players are fucking raging that they were back. Welcome back lads, good to see you. Unbelievable carry on, these people have been pent up. I know the London clubs got a bit of a reprieve around well, around the tail end of last year, but basically they've been gone for 14 months and they come back and they're not enjoying the day. They're doing anything but enjoy it. The first chance they get is they're letting these players know how much they fucking hate them. <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff. Great to see. Warms your heart. Yeah, it does, because I was actually about to get sick at one stage as well. I think it was the 80th minute when they were all standing up with their hands out, knowing full well that the cameras are on them, knowing full well that this is the story Sky wanted to tell. Look, the fans are back in the stadiums. It isn't that great. Just a couple of knobheads standing there with their hands out singing the most boring football song in English football. (laughs) And like you were made some mug of after this game. Because it was only at the weekend there where you were saying that Villa would be the worst team to cope with fans coming back. <laughs> and was, and that the, was that the same podcast where I declared that Villa wouldn't get the 50 points? <laughs> yeah, you've been proved wrong the whole time. And, and there we are. Like, Villa have come from behind as well. Like, let's not lose sight of that. They've come from behind, shown a bit of character. They played well for 90 minutes. Did everything you want. They attacked well. They ground it out when they had it. They defend it well individually. I'm going to give away the Vimeometer here, but I don't actually have anybody going down. We'll get to that. I'm sure you will have some disagreements with that. But the fans are back, and if anything, Villa were they were thriving. Like they they, they were enjoying the fans being back, and they were enjoying Spurs having that pressure. Maybe it's, maybe the, the trick is being away from the pressure of Villa Park. We'll see you all about it next on Sunday. But I'm. Um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't buckle like you said they would. <laughs> yeah, and they 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 played really well. Spurs' backline absolutely buckled it, and that really really helpful. Obviously, they were fucking shambles. Schoiberg was a mess. They couldn't cope with those fans standing in the crowd singing those boring songs over and over again. <laughs> it obviously affected their concentration. Yeah, it's like a completely different club that the one he joined. You know, he was just there looking at this amazing big stadium normally, and then he has to listen to this nonsense. Like, that's not the, not the Spurs team that he's been playing with. But um, I hope you're all ready for some positivity because it's incoming. Like, this was a great performance. There's no getting away from it. And 
Jesus, like we deserve it and it's good to end the season. We haven't ended the season just yet, but it just felt like this whole thing was petering out and we'd be going back into the recesses to remember a, a day, a performance like this, never mind a result. Big result away to Spurs, winning 2-1 and full value for it as well. But um, do you have to start with a bit of negativity? So let's let's get to it. Like The Bergwijn goal, lovely finish from him. But fuck me, like what, what is Nakamba doing? Wake it up, liven up, sharpen up, make your touch better. You know, like you're your defensive midfielder, you're supposed to be the rock. And he too often lets people pass him. Like we can talk about him generally. Like I, I, I can't understand how often he's uh he's ahead of the ball when Villa loses. it. Like he's the one person you want there. He had a I think he probably had a 15 minute spell in the second half where he was he was good and he broke up the play, but but outside of that, and the goal specifically, the Spurs opener, like he needs to do better. It reminded me of Engels against Spurs in that game. Like, just terrible touch lets him through. And then bad tackle as well when he's trying to... I nearly missed Douglas Louise barging in and giving away a 20-meter free. Like, he's trying to recover the situation. And it's just, it's a it's a weak, sort of hopeless tackle. And bang, a goal because your holding midfielder has has opened the door for them. Well, look, if I was in charge of the Vyman meter... Nakamba would be going down. I thought he was a disaster on the ball. The ball was bouncing off him. Like he just couldn't trap the ball. The ball was going 15 yards away from him every time he tried to take a touch. The goal is terrible, and that just yeah, that that's how he started his game, and that's how he fucking finished it in my eyes anyway. And you're right, the tackle's terrible. It's too weak. You know he's going straight through on goal. Fucking bring him down if you can't yeah. win the ball back in that situation, which he should have been able to because he had the legs on him there. Just take him down. Clip his fucking ankles, get a yellow card. It's the start of the game. You're a defensive midfielder. You've already cocked up. Don't compound it. But then he did redeem himself with an unbelievable cross at the other end. (laughs) This cross could not have been worse. There were two Villa players 20 metres apart. So what does Nakamba do? He picks out the Spurs player, bang smack in the middle of the two of them. Uh, A tame cross as well. And then... That Regulon attempt at clearance is one of the worst things that I've seen in a long time. Like, they, they talked about him at halftime, going with his wrong foot, uh, you know, getting his bearings wrong. Like, he is so far away from connecting with that ball properly. It's scary. Like, he ends up hitting it below his knee. Like, it didn't, like, it was a tame cross that was going to someone's foot. It, there's loads of time to, to adjust your body, take a touch. Do anything but shin it in from from that far out. Hugo Lloris doesn't do well either, and it's an absolute catastrophe. And Spurs just gifted Villa away back into the match. Look, when it's just a spank out of the box, there's no such thing as anybody, never mind a professional footballer, having a bad foot. Just fucking put your bad foot through the ball. Yeah. It's so fucking simple. Yeah, Nakamba gets the ball and a nosebleed at the same time. He looks up and he sees Watkins and Drury free in the box. And only 15 metres away. I don't know what's worse, how close they were. The fact that he picks out Reggion or the fact that he actually looks up and manages to do that. <laughs> but like, maybe he's just, he sees the real danger in the box and it's Reggion. Like maybe Nakamba is just a lateral thinker. He sees things in the pitch that ordinary footballs only see in their dreams. Maybe Nakamba listened to the Everton podcast where we were saying that you cannot believe that Jordan Pickford wasn't being targeted by the Villa players more often. Yeah. So he thought, let's target this clown because it's regular and yet again for the second goal as well. Now it's it's brilliant stuff from two Villa players. It's BT and Watkins again, but fuck me, like (laughs) Regulon gets blocked, right? After after Chirori falls to the ground and he still has time to get up and get back over and block the first attempt at clearance. Then he has the ball and he manages to dally on it. He gets the ball again, he gets a second chance and he manages to just take his time and delay it a second and a second and a second longer and big BT comes in again and blocks it and then it's just brilliant from Watkins. Like that head to put it back under his control, they hold off Dyer and then they take the piss out of Lloris with his finish of his left foot into the near post. Brilliant stuff, but yet again, Regulon, like we're complaining about Nakamba. Like these two were worse, I think. Ah, yeah, Regulon's nightmare just continued. The second pass that Bertie T intercepts is it's a pass into Ali with Cons up his arse. Villa are getting the ball back either way there. Yeah. Yeah, great pressure. 
Phyllis smelt blood like they did for most of the first half. And Watkins' touch with his head is brilliant. The finish is nearly brilliant. He scuffs it. But he's already given Loris the eyes and 2-1. So fucking simple. And Watkins should have had a penalty as well. Like this uh, Craig Pawson guy, we need to we need to chat about him. So it looked in, it didn't look innocuous, but it looked so far away from threatening when you're watching it from that shit angle at White Hart Lane or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like, you know, the ball was going to play. Watkins wasn't going to score. And, yeah, it did look like Lloris and him had collided. But you're thinking, ah, you know, nothing's going to happen there. And then you watch the replay. and He's just cleaned off his feet. Totally unnecessary. And you realize that he would have gotten the ball. He still wouldn't have scored. He would have gotten it right on the byline. So it was so stupid from Lloris. And Pawson just wagged on his finger. Like, you know, nope, not having it. It reminded me of, of Mike Dean during the Chelsea game last night. Did you see, like, Werner getting the cast kicked? in the box like he got he got minced in the box and Mike Dean just shaking his head arrogantly as if to say you're not having me on son and like you know he actually gives a free kick to Leicester for Ferner being being sized down in the box he had the ball and uh just like that that sort of attitude is is, is what's most frustrating about all this and then actually what's the worst is VAR looking at it and then deciding that there's nothing to see here like you know, this is the levels of it. I'm talking about Mike Dean. Craig Pawson is, is the guy on the pitch today, but there's somebody up above saying, yeah, nothing was missed there, carry on. And even just Pawson's general attitude to Grealish especially, it's like it's like since Grealish has come back, a lot of these referees have been talking about how often he's been fouled. And now even when he is being fouled, they're not giving it to him. It reminds me of like a bunch of teachers, a bunch of loser teachers in, in the lunchroom talking about the bad student and like you know then they're just judging them on what they've heard and what they've talked about and like you know i've heard all about you rather than just letting the evidence reveal itself and greatish is just being mowed down time after time and refs are so keen to not give it to show that they're dealing with it and like genuinely it seemed like he was being affected the first game back with some crowds ten thousand fans spread around the stadium on the upper tier and he's being put under pressure by them like that. That's a worrying sign going forward. But uh, like, uh, not a great game from him. I don't think. No, and it's it's an absolutely scandalous decision to get back to the penalty. I mean, it's it's a double decision now. Of course, there's two professionals fucking that decision up, and it's not difficult stuff. I mean, like this is the fundamental of refereeing. If someone misses the ball and cleans out the player, it's a foul. Very, very, very simple stuff. If a building's on fire, we spray it with water, not petrol. If a goalkeeper wipes out a forward, we give a penalty, not a goal kick. Like in no other profession would you get away with a mistake that big with no repercussions and not even need to have to explain yourself. Craig Possum will never explain that decision. But what, what did he see there? What did the VAR see? What was he looking at? What, he saw that coming back. He saw Lloris just take out Watkins' legs. What, yeah. did he, what does he say to Pawson there? But but this is the this is the worst thing. Like, imagine Im- imagine you're a fireman and a couple of times a week you're going out with petrol to try and put out these fires in the houses. And and not only that, you have somebody who's taking his time to decide if you should use water or petrol. And then he's saying, Yeah, go with the petrol this time. And yeah. like you're just continuing to to make these houses like you know, crumble to the ground on fire. You're not doing anything to sort it out and and nobody's coming along to say what's going on here. Why? Why are the streets after streets being being raised to the ground by fires? And why are you putting putting petrol on top of it? Like these guys, I said this before. Because VAR is now here, we should be getting more interviews. Like it would help if referees could explain what's happening. Like they've had the the benefit of stopping the match, and they've had the benefit of replays and somebody who's not in the stadium involved in the heat of the action making a, a cold supposedly calculated decision and yeah you're right there are no repercussions yeah i mean the, the only repercussion is that they'll get sent to they'll get sent to look after a few sheds next week but then the week after that they'll be back, they'll be back up looking after people's homes I mean, <laughs> all all var has done the worst thing about it is that it's just exposed how bad referees are it isn't helping them it's just making you see how shit they are because you see them missing the original the original decision and then you see some other numpty in there missing it as well with the benefit of replays from 60 cameras. 
they would honestly be better off just not looking at it. Like that that would be uh it would be frustrating, but at least at least if, if you heard tonight that they, they weren't looking at a replay, you'd be asking, why are they not looking at a replay? But because they say the check has been complete, no penalty, every football fan in the world is now scratching their head thinking, what the hell is happening? What are the rules? Like, who, who are making these decisions? Are they watching the same thing that we're watching? And like, the, the answer can't be yes. And yeah, that, that is scary. I, again, you, have, you always have to qualify this that, Having video replays is not a problem. Like that, that's definitely helpful. But having these people adjudicate over them is just not going to help. But because no matter what, you still have the same useless twats. <laughs> I can't believe we started whinging. Two-one <laughs> victory for the villa. We are getting into WhatsApp whinges, but don't worry, we have some positivity coming your way. WhatsApp whinges. Uh, if Bertie T ever just tried to score, he'd be the fucking goat. Let's be fucking honest here. Like Bertrand Torrey could have caught Kane and Salah in the race for the golden boot tonight. <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, that was a that's, dis- that's, yeah. He's not in it for that. He doesn't care. He he doesn't care about the golden boot. Do you think he cares about goals? <laughs> it was a fucking disgraceful performance. That was. Inches away from being the greatest performance of all time. (laughs) Heston Blumenthal cooked the Bertie T burger tonight, but the fucking waiter slipped as he was carrying it to the table and sent it flying across the floor. (laughs) Yeah, I I must say, I got a bit excited now. You look at everything through the the prism of positivity goggles when you have a big win like that. And I was listening to a a Dean Smith interview earlier on, on on Talk Sport of all places, but he was talking about Bertrand Ferrari and expecting him to be even better next year. And like, you know, then when you take that and you take a win like that, and you're like, ooh, ooh, okay. Like, Bertrand Ferrari's going to be even better now. <laughs> Just to, you know, edit hole, whatever Dean Smith has served up for me. But you can see, like, oh, like if he just tried to score, he would, he would be class. But he doesn't, like you say, that's not what he's in it for. Like, there was one stage I actually laughed out loud. He just, he just nutmegged Regulon in the box and lost the ball. <laughs> He got what he came for, though. Yeah, it's it's like that guy in school who knocks the ball through your legs and then falls to the ground laughing at you. And you're like, you've just lost the ball, you dickhead. <laughs> but, like, you can't argue with him because he's laughing and everybody else is laughing. And that, that's the game that Bertie T is playing. And, like, how can how can Kane and Sam compete with that? Like, how many nutmegs <laughs> did they make tonight? <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were, like, there were <laughs> loads of occasions where he just sauntered into the box he could have shot and he just kept going like he just kept going he always just wanted to beat somebody else and it was a it looked like a lot of fun for him but um like as you say so close if he just if he just puts one of those away we'll forgive him for the rest of them and if he puts one of them away he's doing things that other people can't do and that's the thing he does so many things that other people can't do there was one in the box where he just he lost the ball but he controlled it with the outside of his left foot and he was free on goal again. Yeah. Like, nobody knows how he managed to do that. Regulon's gone running on the inside of him and he's just turned around the other way with the ball still at his feet. <laughs> he's just lost it. How do you still have it, Bertrand? But every time he got in, it was just an extra touch. Just one more touch. I just need to keep this ball at my feet for the pants. <laughs> have a fucking shot, Bertie! <laughs> yeah, there was... um. There was a moment there when he, like, you see, the thing he, he does that nobody else does as well is that he makes it look so easy. Like, he skins these lads and, and creates 10 meters of space so quickly and so simply that you think, fuck, was that actually hard what he did there? But it obviously is because nobody else does it. Like, the one that he just turned, he was about 30 meters out in the center and it's Cowberg coming up his arse. And just, just the way it's turned another way, he always has a, a different. Uh, he he just sees the world at 360 like you know we're we're often we have habits of where to go when you you have a player on your shoulder but like he he always has the other the other door to go out and when he does it it just makes people look like a mug and then that's the one he, he carried the ball straight into the box but but yet again just didn't do anything with it like you know and the villa players are there looking at him just with their hands out sort of pausing to see if he is going to deliver and it, i think it's because they know as well he's not going to <laughs> but 
but he's always so close to doing it, so you can see why he, he just persists with him. Yeah, and like, obviously he's brilliant because Jamie Redknapp told me these Spurs defenders are class. <laughs> <laughs> he he pointed out that they're all international footballers, so Bertrand Trory must be up there with the likes of Maradona and Pelly. <laughs> Second WhatsApp wins. Don't take him off. Don't take him off. Don't take him off. Yeah, I was actually worried that when they did, I assume you're talking about Jack Grealish, take yeah. him off, because it was always going to happen, that he was going to just resort to what he was doing all game, which was just having a little whinge at somebody. Yeah, I thought it was just going to piss him off. And yeah, just it wasn't the fairy tale he was hoping for, was it? And he's returned to starting eleven. His porridge that... was fucking roasting hot all night. <laughs> like we all knew he was going to get seventy minutes tonight. Like that, that was so predictable. And obviously, probably, probably <laughs> had to say probably. I couldn't just admit that it was the right thing to do. <laughs> probably, you could say it would be the right thing to do. But the fact that he did seem frustrated, he's going to be frustrated coming back. From injury, things not going as well. Like I think that that one where he got when he came on when he came back a couple of games ago when he had that bad first touch and he ended up getting kicked in the shins and we all freaked out. Like that just summed it up as well. Like, you know, Jack Reilly's doesn't have that bad first touch ever, really. Mm-hmm. Um and then they're just he didn't have any bad first touches tonight, but it just wasn't clicking. And i I think mostly it just wasn't clicking with his teammates because he hasn't been playing with them for a third of the season. He hasn't been playing with them, they haven't been playing with him. And they're not making the runs for him. They're not making the decoy runs. They're not expecting to play those quick, tight passes because nobody else does it. And yeah. because it's normally, it's not an issue when Grealish plays a D because he's going to be free two seconds later. Like some people get that ball and they'd freak out normally because it's like somebody had sold them up the river. But when it's Grealish, he's just gone somewhere else that you just have to roll for him. And and then he was getting frustrated when it wasn't coming back or in the case of El Ghazi, it was just coming back misdirected. Um and he just yeah he just looked frustrated a lot until until Walken scored and he jumped on top of him and that was you could hear him screaming as well even above even above the ten thousand fans you could hear him celebrating so he still I think he still loves football and he loves Villa but it just didn't <laughs> didn't go for him tonight and then I, I, I'm I, I'm just too invested in this in this story and I'm looking at him and I want everything to go right for him ah yeah and and like he did some lovely things tonight as well I mean there were some great passes in between the fullback and the center half but it's his feet just weren't as quick as he's used to himself, and he just wasn't—he wasn't able to do the things that he knows he can do, and that's the only thing that got to him. I mean, he, he still wants Watkins to score, he still wants Villarreal to win. <laughs> but like, if if Grealish was playing like he was in October and November against that Spurs team, we would have scored five or six. Yeah, yeah, because like there were so many chances created. He was—he was a big part of it. It was there was a stage. After half an hour, I was laughing again, thinking he is so good. It's it's funny, like you know, just the just the stuff he can do. Like the the way he suddenly because he's on the pitch, it's suddenly just freeing up everybody else again as well. Like you know, when he has the ball, he's able to find him, and you know, there's three four players rushing to get him. Even like even when he's not in the ball, everyone's preoccupied by him, and you know, it's like we'll we'll get to John again, but I think that was his best game in a long time, and that's. Jack Grealish's first start in a long time as well. Like, and that that helps everybody else having having Jack Grealish on the pitch. He's a, I see some man. That's the thing. Whenever Grealish get, when Grealish gets the ball, the whole the whole football pitch changes. Everything about it. The Spurs defenders are all moving out of position. They're all coming to Jack Grealish. The Villa players come alive. It just feels the atmosphere is different when the ball's at Jack Grealish's feet. The match is just an entirely different game whenever the ball gets to Jack Grealish. It's yeah. just a, a very, 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 very strange thing that if only a few players in the world can make happen. And the third WhatsApp winge. Have a fucking shot, Chuck. Ooh. Oh my god, the confidence, the disguise, the execution, Christ oh. almighty, did I ever want the ball going to go into the net more? I don't think so. That would have been some fucking moment. And he carried it exactly the right amount of time. He did everything, right? Yeah. Just like he did when he got onto the pitch. He was fucking brilliant. <laughs> he for going to say he frustrated me. He didn't frustrate me at all, but because I'm used to just seeing clips of him playing with the, the youth team. 
he came in from the left hand side, didn't have that shot around the far corner like I've seen him score against 17 year old goalkeepers. And then he had a ball at the edge of the box and he didn't shoot. And there was that one he tried to play for Watkins. I thought he could, I, I just wanted him to run and shoot, to be honest. And he, like, he played it to the outside of Watkins, he just uh, overcooked it. Um, and I thought, oh, like, come on, like, you, you know, back yourself. I just want them to score. And then, fucking hell, like you say, his body position, his uh, disguise, the execution off the post. Larice had no fucking chance. And uh, he showed in like eight minutes why everybody's so excited about him. Like, this guy is a player. He showed in eight minutes why I think Ross Barkley's a cunt as well. I mean, like, what a waste of time that was. <laughs> But he, but even whenever he first came on, he was he was the first thing he had to do was come back, and yeah. he was there for a second. He was in front of Dougie and McGinn, and I think it was Hoiberg just kind of stepped in behind him. And seventeen-year-old first game, Carney fucking was more tuned in than Ross Barkley has been all season. He looks <laughs> over his shoulder and he blocks off the space, and the pass is not anymore. And I was like, this this is my guy. This is the guy that I can fucking fall in love with. You're, and you're right, the Watkins pass, I overcooks it, and I don't even think he should be playing it. He should be having a shot. Like, where is the impetuosity of youth? That's what I wanted him on the pitch for. Yeah. But it was incredible that whenever he got the ball, that he he didn't panic at all. He he knew what to do. I know the Villa under-18s are good, so he was, he's been in winning positions before, and he's able to play the ball around. But to do that in the London Stadium on your debut... That was it. Was so mature and so so exciting. Yeah, it didn't look one bit out of place. That that Watkins pass, I think, is just a bit of deference. You know, he's feeling his way into the game. Watkins, in fairness, wasn't even really looking for it. He was just peeling off, maybe making space for him. And I think that the shot was on. But yeah, I think it was like I'm only on the pitch sixty seconds, and I'm not taking this on when our top goal scorer is there on the left hand side free. Um, and a brilliant performance. I'm so excited. I'm actually now suddenly raging that the season's ending because <laughs> I'd love to see more of this boy. Like, and um, yeah, like I, I couldn't wait. For, I was crying out for the end to come. And now it's like, oh, like bring me next season and let's get some more minutes for Chuck because that was heartwarming. And yeah, it's, it is, it bodes well for, for next season. So we'll see in the categories. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. Where to even start with the Ronnie Rosenthal award? Uh, Lewis Newman tweeted us to say the amount of Ronnie Rosenthal nominations tonight. The podcast is going to be about three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that long because uh, we're trying to feel our way back into what it's like to podcast after a win. <laughs> <laughs> this is the equivalent of Jack Grealish coming back from an injury. It's just, just not as natural to us just yet. But like, there were so many nominations that... That I had written down, that I, I forgot what some of them are. <laughs> so honestly, if somebody can help me with, I remember like Watkins had a few, right? But none of them were, were massive. None, I, me- I remember he did really well early on. He, he got a bit of space from from Regulon, of course, and he just pulled a terrible shot with his right foot. But I, I have one written down here. It's like Watkins from Bertrand Ferrari pass. And I, I know I've written that down because. I wrote down the big ones, that like, and he's that's the only Watkins thing I've written down, even though he had a few chances. If anybody can remember what the fuck that was, please, <laughs> please get in touch at the Villa podcast on Twitter, because because I can't remember for the life of me. Like there were so many that it starts the whole way back from a Matt Target free with Ezra Konza doing an Ezra Konza again at the back post. He he's got all the time in the world, and he he. I don't know what he's doing. He jumps up about 10 metres or about 10 seconds before the ball gets to him and somehow he still gets underneath it and lobs it up for the keeper as if he's passing it back to him. Or no, actually, sorry. He lobs it up tamely over the bar, bounces on top of the net, I think. Yeah, I mean, did he just get a case of the Theo Walcott's there? Just too much time to think. Yeah. Some players just need to have those options taken out of their hands. Rely on instinct, not intellect. I mean, I, I think he is. He's going to head it, and then he realizes he should be just putting it to the back post, and he does fucking neither. Ball hits off the top of his head. It's pathetic, really. From an absolute hero. Uh, uh, like, you know, you're not going to hear any arguments <laughs> from me. Well, that Kanza is a hero, but like, I still want them to stick away a few more from uh, the back. Yeah, yes, the fucking score. 
Um, like there, there are three nominations for Bertrand Ferrari, and they're all the same. Like it's just him <laughs> running. Like, <laughs> Chris Coleman said it perfectly. He said he wants too many touches. It's like schoolboy football. This was for the first one where he's carrying it in from the middle. He's going straight down towards the goals, and he just keeps going and keeps going. He does that again, and then there's one where he's put away on the right hand side. And he just needs to put it. It's all like it's it's on his left foot as well. He's got the angle. He's to do is bend it around the keeper, and he just decides I'll wait for the defender to get back here because it'll be good crack to try and take it past him, and he loses. Yeah, it, it was far too many of the same chance. The one through the middle where he just skips past Joyberg is is embarrassing for everybody involved because the shot is there. It's on his left foot, and he drags it back across to his right, and then he does this really strange thing where he runs across the ball while still running towards it. And tries to hit it with his left foot. And obviously a defender just gets there because that takes about four seconds to do instead of just shooting four seconds earlier. Yeah. There's one that Watkins was getting a bit of grief for. Um, It was two on two. Douglas Louise was breaking away. And he was in the Spurs half. Gave it to Watkins who... He, he stops on the ball. He's trying to take it around the defender who's right up to speed with him. And then somebody else comes and, and takes it off him. It's, it looks a bit casual, but... The problem there was Douglas Louise completely ran out of gas. Now, in fairness to him, I, I don't know what had happened beforehand. Did he have to run back before Villa turned the ball over? But, like, boy, he looked like he just went completely out of steam and he had no power running through the middle. What? Like, you know, all it needed was an injection of pace. He needed to just draw a defender to him and then play it to Watkins. But he played it to him far too early when Watkins had a man on him. And then when he played it, he just disappeared from the picture, and it, it more or less, it more or less left Watkins two or one on two basically, and then that's why he had to stop the ball. It looked like he got it caught under his feet and got it nicked off him, and he was getting a bit of hard time on commentary. But I, I don't know what else. Like you know, you, you want them to, yeah, like you've seen him before, to take it, take it down the channel and have a spank of it. But you know, his options were limited, and he was also had run the full length of the pitch, and he was waiting and waiting and waiting for the pass and. Yeah, it was just, uh, I thought it was bad from Louise. I thought that was his fault. Yeah, like Louise's pass is terrible. Amor Algazi is coming just before Watkins loses the ball. And that's the pass that Watkins wants to play. But Algazi has had to run 70 yards and doesn't get there in time. What Louise does, though, is is what you'd expect Douglas Louise to do. Somebody who's a defensive midfielder and hasn't a clue what to do up there. Like, he should <laughs> never give the pass. But he, he just runs, peels off into position that Ollie Watkins can't give him the ball. Yeah, and I've talked about this before. It doesn't matter how much fucking space you're in if I can't hit that space. Yeah, there's three players between me and you now. Like, go, you know what I can do with a football? I can hit it with three different parts of my foot. Which one do you want me to hit it with here? Because none of them are fucking working where you've gone to. <laughs> actually having this uh, conversation with a with a coach last night. Uh, they were talking about space and getting into space, and it's like, yeah, like it's all well and good getting into space, but like. You know, if somebody can't pick you out, then there's no point in you being there. Or, like, if you're not going to receive it, then there's no point in you being there. Like, leave the space until you actually want to go and get the ball. But, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world for somebody to run into space, especially when you're running away from the action. (laughs) I'm going to take off the other side of the pitch here where there's loads of space, but I've left Ollie Watkins fucked over Uh, on the other side. And that only works in certain circumstances. Like, Ollie Watkins cleared out the space for Carney. I mean, he should yeah. never have been followed. That was stupid from the Spurs centre half. But that works whenever a, a forward runs off at the edge of the box. You can't just play a ball and then go sprinting off to your manager on the left wing. Where the <laughs> fuck are you going, Dougie? <laughs> hey, John Terry, what do you think of that pass? <laughs> Get in, mate, for a selfie. <laughs> uh, where else? Oh, God. Oh, Gazi from Grealish's pass. You know, well worked. It's four on three, and they've just they've probably gone through this in training where McGinn gets it to Grealish and he gets it to the free man who's who's there in the box, completely open, and he completely scuffs it, slices it wide. Unlike El Ghazi, he gets it on his right foot. You want him to score. Let's all be honest about this. That that was one of the worst things any of us has ever ever seen in a football pitch. <laughs> but like that's our Anwar. Consistently inconsistent, reliably unreliable. You know, you know your mate, mate, your work colleague that's always at it. You bump into them in, in the pub or in the corridor. It's like, oh, sorry, man, I never got back to you, or I still haven't gotten to that. I'll sort that out as soon as I get back yeah. to my desk. And you just reply with, ah, yeah, mate, whatever works for you, no rush. 
you've already done the fucking work yourself. <laughs> you've already spoken to West Brom about signing Pereira. You're not fucking <laughs> trusting this lad anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was awful. And again, one of those ones where I was looking for Grealish's reaction. <laughs> he didn't look angry this time, just more like, what the hell happened there? Like, I think... <laughs> I think from Grealish's angle, he, he saw the ball going towards the top corner. So he was sort of looking interested and then he realized that it had just gone 15 meters past the top corner. It was awful finish, like not clinical at all. And El Ghazi is the final nomination from a, a lovely John McGinn ball over the top. And the difference between Watkins and El Ghazi, like just not taking the space, not coming in. Like, you know, being aggressive with, with his positioning. Like, he's got all the time in the world to to get that ball into the box and get a proper angle for himself. And he just can't get it under control properly. And he stays out on the left wing with a really bad angle. And uh, it's, it's just another big chance gone missing. I think he ended up getting blocked down because he took that long to get it out of his feet. It was, it, it just lacks so much incision. That's what it needed. And but that's that's the thing with El Ghazi. If El Ghazi doesn't score in a game, he does fuck all else. Yeah. I mean, luckily this year he scored ten goals, but Jesus Christ, can he have a stinker? I mean, he was dreadful tonight, and those two chances just summed it up. The Peter Enkelman what the fuck award? We've mentioned Nakamba's mistouch. John McGinn's one hundred and ninety-seven failed crossfield ball of the season getting cut out and just leaving ourselves wide open again. Like, you know, this time he's, it's, <laughs> he's about, I think he's lying with the post maybe. And he's trying to like, line with the, the right back's post. And he's got his back to the rest of the place. So he's facing Martinez, tries to scoop it out with his left foot across the target. And it's just cut out. It's just cut out. And Emmy Martinez saves his blushes. Like, how many more times do you need to be, uh, to be warned about this, like have a look. A crossfield ball is good, but just just make sure that, that nobody's going to cut it out. And if you are, like, if you're not going to look, then just fucking hit it as hard as you can, you know, and just hope the target can keep it in in, in play. Yeah, that and that's the advice we're giving our centre midfielders nowadays. Just fucking hit it as hard as you can, <laughs> because they can't be fucking trusted on the ball. That is that. That was unbelievable. It was sorry. It would be unbelievable were it not the hundred ninety seventh time I've seen it this season. It's so bad. Like, what are you? Doing? I would. I would forgive it more if the ball was even going to target. But he, he fucked up the pass to target even. Yeah. Like not only is there a Spurs player there to intercept it, the ball's not even going to the player he's trying to hit. Yeah. Fucking brain dead. And here we are in the 37th game of the season, still still talking about it. And the last nomination really is just Spurs fans booing them off at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, halftime and full time. I think that could be the winner of the What the Fuck Award. Like, come on, lads, you should just back. Like, you know, Ryan Mason's in charge. Give him a break. Like, the season's over. Like, regroup. You should be just booing Daniel Levy if, if nobody else will get to him. Don't worry. But, like, yeah. It wasn't that bad, was it? Well, it was. I mean, like, what are they booing? They they might have missed their opportunity to qualify for the Europa Conference Cup. <laughs> like, have a fucking hard, cold look at yourselves there. Football is back. You're back in a fucking stadium. Look at us over here in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still, every time I think of the pandemic and the no crowds, like, we had, we had tickets to that Chelsea match, the home Chelsea match, where, uh, it got called off the day before. Remember, remember on the Friday it said the game is, is going ahead or all the games are going ahead. And then about a couple of hours later, Mikel Arteta got struck down with, with COVID and then everybody had to rethink. And we still had tickets and we had flights booked for that Saturday game. And we were like, everybody was giving out about the Liverpool Atletico match during the week. They were giving out about Cheltenham. <laughs> and you and I are like, oh, but we have the tickets. <laughs> Up the flights, like, should we still go? We didn't know what to do. Thankfully, somebody else took it out of our hands, and uh, the game was called off. But uh, we missed our big chance. And it's funny looking back; like, that was the game that John McGinn was supposed to come back from injury as well. We were like, "This is this is the turn of the season. Like, we're going to go on a big run now." Thank Christ, things got shut down. 
<laughs> Boy, did we use that that uh, shutdown well to get our defence in order. But, you know, the last 15 months have obviously been shit, but those are the stories that you don't hear told, you know, from your mainstream media. Like, they're all talking about people ending up in hospital and ventilators. And definitely not sure all that stuff's really important, but not <laughs> once has anybody mentioned us missing that Chelsea game. <laughs> and the moral dilemma. Like, you know, we could contribute to people... <laughs> being in those positions that you mentioned, but but we have tickets to the fucking game, like you know. Thankfully, like I say, somebody took it out of our hands, and we weren't one of the one of the crowd that were going to be slagged off for this stuff. What I need to get out of this conversation quickly. Um, like, <laughs> well, Spurs fans win that. Like, it's it's mad as well. Ten thousand people were lucky enough to get a ticket. Like every club has been doing these like sort of not lotteries, but like a system to give people the most deserving fans. <laughs> the the tickets and, and they've managed to find the 10,000 people willing to boo after 45 minutes and then willing to boo after 90 minutes like you know hope you enjoyed it lads <laughs> <laughs> you like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award Jack Grealish watching El Ghazi take a corner what the fuck was that I actually forgot about that happened twice it's just Jack Grealish is standing on the sideline <laughs> you know, showing total deference to to El Ghazi, who's hitting the corner, and it's like now you've got your your main player just not being used whatsoever, no matter what comes of this corner. You know, like th- th- he's not going to be brought into the play. He's just standing there overseeing things. Jack Grealish, madness. He would stand there like a golf coach, just like you know, trying to watch his technique to see if he can give him <laughs> any tips. There's a fucking game of football on, Jack. Get involved. <laughs> Oh, like, uh, bizarre. We talked about the, the corner routine that led to Matt Target having to have a cross from 40 yards a few games ago. Like, how do we get to a stage where where the routine is, is take Jack Grealish away from, from the edge of the box, take him away from a break in the box, take him away from the ball being overhit, just let him stand here looking at somebody worse than him crossing him? And sure, why, is he, why is he not crossing it? One of, the, one of those two corners went to Bertrand Trory at ankle height. At the age of the six-yard box? Yeah. He came back to El Ghazi and he just stumbled into the box. Offside? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, lad. That worked well. <laughs> Two weeks we practiced that in the training ground. <laughs> and that was the best one. Greeley's turning around. Like, Are you sure this is where you want me? Perfect. <laughs> Second nomination. What did you think of Greeley's at number 10? We've been crying out for this centre attacking midfielder, Jack Grealish. I'll tell you what the problem is. It's Amwar El Ghazi because Grealish obviously has 10 target dots on his back when he's playing and it's easier to put them on his back when he's playing at number 10. So he has to drift around. He has to be flexible. He goes out wide to get the ball sometimes and that's what we want. We want him to have that freedom. But there's no point in him going out wide if El Ghazi's not going to fucking move. El Ghazi becomes the golf coach then in open play. He stands there beside Jack Grealish and says, oh, oh you good man. Oh, a couple of people on, you know. Be, beware. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to try and drag any of them out of the way. And then if, actually, if you do bring me into it, I'm going to fuck it up for you, by the way. So he's just crowded the area. Like, that left wing looks so congested today. Agassi has crowded the area, and then he's also he's made everything clunky and, and harder. And, and, and take, make, everything takes longer because he's there trying to get the ball under control or he's bouncing the ball back to somebody else. And oh, yeah, this can't be the, <laughs> I know it's not going to be, but it can't be the model going forward if you want. Grealish at number 10 uh, needs to be a better ball player out, out on the left side and somebody who's a bit more flexible in their movement as well, who can come inside when Grealish goes outside. Yeah, it, it just didn't work. They didn't... Um... They didn't have any fluidity out there. It, it, there was a couple of times where Grealish went over to the right and Bertrand Trory, sure enough, drifted into, into the middle. That's where he's desperately trying to get every time he's on the pitch. But there's so many moments where Tanganga, Grealish, El Ghazi, Target, Heuberg, Bergwin were all out within a space of about 10 metres of each other. And it was a fucking disaster. Sometimes the angles of Anwar El Ghazi's runs are dreadful. He just doesn't know where he's going and he looks so indecisive. And the, the really interesting thing is whenever you're close to Jack Grealish and he's got the ball, you can almost go anywhere. Yeah. He'll get it to you. 
especially when so many people have come towards him. He's going to poke that out to you. Don't you worry. It's coming. Just run. But he doesn't know where to run. That's his problem. Like, I, I, I don't even know what sort of ball he wants, but like his runs are always just away from the ball. Like, you know, and like target finds him sometimes in behind. He, he, he doesn't really want the ball. Like, he, he either just wants to run at somebody, like, you know, at championship level. Remember remember the game against Derby in the playoff final? He was fucking amazing. Just, just running at people and taking it by them, skipping by them. But like, that doesn't work. That doesn't work against Premier League defenders who are faster, they're better, and they're better set up. And it, like we, we mentioned this at the weekend, like he, his tactic is just to try and hope that somebody is wrong-footed or you know they, they move out of his way and he'll just drive at them. Like He just wants the ball on his right foot to shoot. And you're not always going to get that position. You have to play a bit of ball sometimes and he, he just doesn't know where to be. But that makes his reticence to not take Jack Grealish's space all the more confusing because it's there. That's where he wants to go. Yeah. Just take up that space and you'll, the ball will be on your right foot before you fucking realised. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to go there though. He he wants he wants somebody else to go there and then pop it out to him as he runs in from the left. So all he has to do is hit it one time. Yeah. Like He doesn't want the ball. He's back to goal in there. He's fucked in there. Yeah, yeah. Third nomination. Why weren't these boys playing all along? <laughs> Chuck Wemmicka and Phil Eugene Badesi, like or Badassi, like these boys are class. Like all, all this has done is confirmed that Dean Smith was wrong to not play them more often. Yeah, and the first thing the first thing that they did for both of them was brilliant. Like, you know, a bit of calmness on the ball, covering off space, or even slipping on his arse and getting back up and still dribbling past the lad. The two of them were class when they came onto the pitch. And it does make, it really does, and I, I don't want to hammer this home. Everyone knows what I'm going to say next. It does make the Ross Barkley decision all the more baffling. I think you said it five or six weeks ago, where it's like, what are we doing here? We're trying to get him back into form, trying to get his his value back up so Chelsea can get an extra couple of million when Steve Bruce signs him. <laughs> like, you know, don't be fucking wasting time with Ross Barkley. Get these lads on the pitch. Our season had all but finished at that stage anyway. We were losing games anyway. We were drawing games. We were fucking a shambles. Get these boys on the pitch. Get them a bit of game time. Yeah, and it looks like they're good. Like, we've only seen five and eight minutes from the two of them but like they look ready you know they, they look well able for it and they look exciting and they've got some ideas and they've got energy and uh, like you mentioned with Carney, like he knows where to be he's smart he's strong obviously like so you know it, it's not a big risk i don't think it ever was a big risk um yeah they, they could have been playing all along but i think they're not going to win this award it has to be jack Grealish watching el gazi take corners yeah, without a fucking doubt. The Vyman meter going up, Mr. John McGinn. I think you've 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 probably wondered quite often, like, you know, what are you missing something with him? Like he's he's had he hasn't had a great season, he hasn't had a good season, I wouldn't say. Um especially like when you when you compare it, like when I, I mentioned that Chelsea game we were supposed to go to last year. Like, you know, McGinn was out for a long time and it was a big loss and we thought McGinn's coming back. I don't think it would feel that way now at the minute. Like that—that that was the levels he was at in our heads, and he—he he hasn't been there. But tonight, he, he was brilliant. Like he, he, oh, he relished the closing people down. He looked like he—he he was physically up for it. He, he knew where to be. He—he he, he don't think he overhit a ball really. He underhit that crossfield ball, all right. <laughs> that was the one, the one uh, blemish on his performance, but. It was nice passes with his left foot over the top, finding boys, getting up in support. Won a lot of ball back, I thought. Thought he was good. Yeah, and John McGinn sometimes is good, and nothing nothing pleases me more than John McGinn playing well because I fucking love John McGinn. Yeah. He, he was so integral to getting us back into the Premier League, and he's such a nice lad. He's a funny little bastard. But I ask, am I missing something? Because John McGinn just doesn't seem to be able to be taken out of that team. It's it's always Dougie. If our midfield malfunctions, the next game, it's Dougie that's in. Or it's Dougie to the side, sorry, and Nakamba is brought in. And I know I know he doesn't have any other options really. It's 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 just it's Nakamba that has to come in. But 
McGinn sometimes has deserved to be dropped over Doggy. I don't know what he has to do to get dropped, but then again tonight, it, it turns out a performance like that. It's, it's incredible. And one of the other reasons I'm always asking am I missing something is because everyone else fucking loves him. Like everyone else thinks John McGinn is class, but he's he's quite palpably not. He's had he's had so many bad performances for us this season, yeah. and I'm just wondering what is it I'm not seeing? What is it he's given us that I'm not missing? He gives us energy every game, sure, but he gives us so little care and possession for a centre midfielder that's it's not good enough. Sometimes tonight he was undoubtedly good enough. I think it's because he's got, he's got credit in the bank. Like yeah, like you say, you love him, and I think everybody loves him and. Yeah, they have memories of loving him as a player and how important he was and how good he was. And yeah, everybody likes him and he seems really important for the squad and the group as well. Like, he, yeah, you he mentioned his, his personality. Like, that that's great from a personal point of view and from a team point of view. So everybody's rooting for him, I think, to, to do good. And that's probably what it is. And it's probably why people are slower to to criticize him. Like, they would jump on Dougie way, like, way more quickly. And obviously, Dean Smith would as well. And again, it's yeah, it's choose your poison, really. It's not to, it's not to say that that Dougie has been undeserving of losing his place too. Like he's he's definitely been, been off the boil. But yeah, but like you say, he's got credit in the bank. So so does Connor Hurahan. And the other thing, Douglas Louise has had more impressive games of football for Aston Villa in the Premier League than John McGinn has. If you take yeah. the game, the ten games after lockdown in the first five or six games of this season, Douglas Louise was brilliant. I don't think John McGinn has put together 16 solid performances for Villa in the Premier League. Yeah. It is. Like, I have I have seen it start to turn a little bit like where people are... I, I, it's sort of like you said before that they're not completing the thought process when we're talking about wanting more midfielders. I am seeing people doing that now and there's more suggestions that, that McGinn has to be used more as a sub next year. Or like, that's the thought process now anyway where it's like if we want to get better, we need better midfielders. Um, if McGinn kept this up, we'd all be fucking delighted. But he needs to keep it up, yeah. Like that's that's one fifteen to go. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, look, that's it's, it's an odd night to be having the conversation because he was fucking brilliant. He was brilliant. He was um, going up again, second week in a row, second game in a row. Courtney House, I thought he was really good again. He was uh, really smart. There was one stage where Son had peeled off. Like now, Courtney House is on right centre back, but Harry Kane was coming down the left wing. And he just knew, he, he just knew what Harry Kane wanted because Son was driving through the middle from the halfway line and he knew that that bending ball was coming from Harry Kane. And, and honestly, House reacted about, he reacted about five seconds quicker than anybody else would have. Like, it was brilliant defending. He just completely changed the direction of his run and just made sure that he was at goal side of Son on the other side of Son, knowing that that ball from Kane was coming. And it did come. And it ended up being a very, very simple interception from House, but it's because he put in the work early on and he was smart enough. Yeah, and, and Courtney House is is a very, very good backup centre half, and he's you know he's coming into his peak now, so he's only going to get better. He's turns twenty six in the summer, I think. So for a centre half, he's got a good two or three years ahead of us, and it's great to have him there behind Mings and Kanza. Going up. Carney Chukwemega, we mentioned, and then we mentioned Jaden, Jaden Philogene Bidesi. I'm going to get that right by next season, I promise. But when he came on, I was thinking, oh my God, we've got ourselves a little quick ball player here. Like, he, he just, just positive, sharp, wants to play the ball and go again. Like, you know, his first pass was just in the walking's feet and came straight back off him. You know, actually, there was one stage where him and Carney we're playing, and Watkins was the one who fucked it up. <laughs> you know, the three of them are having a bit of a triangle over there, and are most experienced. Their their main striker balls it up for them, but um, yeah, like he really excited me. I think we all knew that that Carney was going to was going to do the business and look look the business. But when he came on, it was like fuck. We've actually got a, another wide option here as well. Yeah, and it's strange because he's been on the bench so often. It's so bizarre that he's never never gotten used. I mean, one thing that that Dean Smith gets accused of as not using his bench. And I've always just said, well, what the fuck do you want? You're, what you're actually saying when you're saying that is, can we get Keenan Davis on sooner? Why? Who cares? <laughs> can we get El Ghazi on for sure? Oh, brilliant. Let's see that happen. Let's see nothing happen once that substitution's made. 
we've seen this before. It doesn't work. Yeah. And that just makes the, the fact that that was Jaden's first game in the Premier League all the more surprising. <laughs> I knew you would come back around to slagging Dean Smith in this podcast. <laughs> um, I've got no one going down in the Vima meter because... Because it's all relative, really. It's 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 a meter based on where players are going up and down, and it's it's based on, well, largely based on what they're, what they're giving us by way of what we think that they can give us. And like uh, Nakamba didn't give me anything that I didn't expect tonight. Really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, El Ghazi didn't either. Like I I don't think either of them did enough to go down any further on the Vyman meter in my head. No, the, the the two of them were as shit as I would have expected. All right, we'll take one more break and then we'll get to some questions that we cannot answer. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Mr. Daniel Levy, Spurs fans being consigned to the upper tier. 10,000 Spurs fans all being squashed up to the upper tier. Was that the most Daniel Levy thing you have ever seen? Never mind of 2021, maybe of all time, definitely of this year. It was fucking pathetic. It was such a strange decision. I mean, what a fucking arsehole. It was pointless for the viewer at home to have the fans in the stadium. You couldn't yeah. fucking see them. What a it, waste of time. The United game the other night looked class. The, the United game looked amazing. There was a proper atmosphere. This game, it actually felt like it actually felt like there was crowd noise, but it was really bad crowd noise because they were just spread out. They were like... They've been out for 14, 15 months. Their lives have been shit. And there they are, roaring desperately, trying to get attention from 100 feet away, trying to enjoy the game, like, tr- trying to be heard, trying to be part of it. And he's just planted them in the top tier so he could put a few more advertising boards around the lower tier again. And I can just I can just imagine him, like, you know, and, and that little sort of grin and laugh that he has, you know, we'll, we'll get the fans in, but we'll keep the sponsors happy. <laughs> you know, and, and, and again, when we come back to this, you know, he, like... It's mentioned again tonight. Where does this come from? Daniel Levy, like, you know, what an operator. What a money man. What a cunt. Like, you know, imagine doing that to those fans who have been through enough and he's doing it for an extra few quid, thrown into the top tier, 10,000 of them, scattered around the, the upper echelons of the stadium. Yeah, Chris Coleman, once again, anointed him the toughest negotiator in football. Oh. I mean, this is a man who's so shrewd he wouldn't go higher than 25 million for Jack Grealish. He like... Levy walked into a car showroom. There was a fucking fire sale on. He looked out. He's being offered a 200 grand Ferrari for 50. And he counter-offered with a trade for his fucking Lara Samara and the loose change from the cup holder. <laughs> fucking Josh Anoma. <laughs> and the shrewdest thing this prick has ever done was convince the 11 other greedy bastards that he too was super. And look how that fucking worked out for him. All he did was convince his own fan base that he was a cunt. Well, good, good mention because that brings me on to the next question we can't answer. Why have why have Sky fallen into this trap as well, going along with the illusion that Spurs are a big club? It's 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 insane. Like, <laughs> isn't even a golden era for Spurs, but but this is the exception to the rule. Like this this tiny little fraction of time right now. Like we we knew it at the time during the Super League, they were they were just freezing a random moment of time and taking it as it was but even then Spurs aren't they're nowhere near part of a super club so at half time right Villa are beating them and they're hammering them actually and they're chatting away about Spurs they don't even like they barely mention the Canva's mistake like it's such a big mistake like that's the reason Spurs score a goal but it's you know it, it, that, that's the coverage it was as if it was as if like Huddersfield were drawn with United or Liverpool you know at half time and then like you know, Jamie Carragher has to say, Jamie Redknapp has to say, but you know, Villa are doing well as well. He actually said that as you know, as if we would we would forget to talk about Huddersfield and the and the job that they're doing for drama with these teams. Villa, Aston Villa were beating Spurs. Like you know, that, that is not a shock. And and this idea that like Spurs are one of these big clubs that we cover them the same way that we would cover United or Liverpool is fucking bonkers and it's so foreign to any proper football fans and like I say <laughs> it hasn't even been a golden era for him there were three years there where he came in the top three once in that three years he got the top two and that's it like that was the flash in the pan that was the exception to the rule 
like Spurs ever since then they've been sixth they came fourth and then they came sixth and now this year they're going to come sixth seventh eighth for ninth take your pick like that Spurs are back to their level back around 59th uh, like the, the the fact that Villa beating them would be mad to anybody is sackable <laughs> yeah and <laughs> any, anybody who thinks that Spurs should be held in the same breath as the actual big teams in England are fucking clowns <laughs> the Spurs are nowhere near that level they finished sixth last season. They're finishing sixth this season. Harry Kane's pissing off to a big club in the summer. Forget yeah. about fucking Spurs. I mean, Spurs losing to Aston Villa isn't isn't a story. You don't have to create the narrative. You don't have to try and figure out what is wrong with Spurs. Analyze the game that's happening. Two average sized clubs are playing, and one of them is winning. Yeah. Like that's it. I just can't get my head around that idea that they can't. They can't make it relative to what it actually is. Like they can't, they can't decide that Villa are a big club, bigger, better, better history than Spurs, and, and decide that this is fine. Like, and they can't even look at both teams either. Like Spurs, I'm not saying that they haven't had a good team. Pochettino created a good team, created a really good team that 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 were challenging, and then <laughs> Daniel Levy basically ripped it up by bringing in Jose Mourinho and saying he wins trophies. That's what he does. Like, what fucking trophies is he talking about? Did he, did he actually think Mourinho was going to win a Premier League or a Champions League for him? Pochettino was way closer. Way closer on a number of occasions. Mourinho, <laughs> you know, he, he, he might have fluked an FA Cup or a League Cup. They won the League Cup in 2008. Nobody cares. You know, is that, is that, is that the trophies that he was after? And he, by the way, he wasn't going to win a fucking FA Cup. Of course he wasn't. <laughs> And fucking exactly. And who would have cared anyway? Who won the FA Cup this year? <laughs> Leicester. <I forgot>. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Last so year. Last year. Uh, I know this because Chelsea. Arsenal. Mikel Arteta. And then the year before is a good one. The year before. I'm going to guess Man City, but I have no fucking idea. <laughs> What's Man City? <laughs> <you're freaking laughs> very educated guess. Like That's a... And eggheads are an old quiz master's trick. Yeah, they beat fucking Watford in the final. <laughs> like this is the thing as well. Like we've had a pile of Arsenal fans now giving out about our uh, laugh at them at the weekend about the idea that Jack Grealish would go there. It's like what the point that they're missing. Like you know, so they're saying, "Well, at least we won a couple of other cups." It's like that. Like that is not the point. Like, the point is Jack Grealish has a choice between. The club that he loves and seeing where that goes and keep and continuing to build with it, or and like it's not a choice. It's not a choice he's going to make anytime soon. So don't worry. I don't want to keep talking about it and freak people out. Or his other choice is challenging for the Champions League title and Premier League titles. The choice isn't maybe winning an FA Cup of Arsenal every five years. <laughs> like you know, there's fucking steak on the menu, and Arsenal think that they're going to attract him with some salad. <laughs> He's got he's got burger and chips. He's got the Bertie T burger right here, or he can have steak in a Michelin star restaurant, and he he can turn this burger into a Michelin star burger himself as well. He's not going to go for the fucking salad. That you you might get a what do you call those things? Croquettes, croquettes in the middle of them. What do you call those crispy little things that are nice in a in the middle of a salad every so often? Croutons, croutons, croquettes. <laughs> he's not going to the Arsenal for some fucking croutons let's put it like that and I think he, as much as I love Jack Grealish I think he might be over egging his ability to turn Bertrand Trory into a world class player <laughs> last one people aren't serious are they when they're saying Graham Potter for Aston Villa <laughs> a lot of respect for Graham Potter but like this this is uh, I saw a great tweet that said these are the same people who wanted house for Mings. You know, it's it's just like you, you take people for granted in your life that are there all the time. You know, you you think you think a little fling is going to be good, but normally what happens is people get their head turned by by somebody who's just not as good as what you already have. You know, it's just stupidity. Don't don't give into it. Like you don't want this in the long run. And like Graham Potter's grand, but like he's no better than Dean Smith. And he's had to be quite 
reductive with Brighton in a really good way. They play some good football as well, but like they're they're a really solid team that he's he's built up well. Smith is in the middle of this project. He's so far further down the line. Bringing in Potter, I don't think is a better manager, and I just think it knocks you back because you have somebody who's already already in the middle of this project. No, if if you're if you're pushing to get Dean Smith out the door and your answer is to get Graham Potter in, you're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> One thing I constantly hear being thrown at Dean Smith is that he spent two hundred and sixty million, and you know this is his second season. Of course, he spent two hundred and sixty million. Think about the tripe he had to contend with, yeah. and the only players that have survived are our third choice goalkeeper, Taylor, Elmo, and Hurahan are all leaving this summer. McGinn and Grealish. Ramsey, who just turned 17 at the time when Smith took over. <laughs> El Ghazi, who was on loan. And Keenan Davis, who's shit. <laughs> and it, it, it gets even more stark when you think about who he's gotten rid of. Chester, Bree, Green, Lansbury, Hogan, Nyland. Nyland fell into his own net under no pressure while holding a football. <laughs> he was a and goalkeeper. That wasn't, even, that wasn't the worst thing he did that month. Remember he threw it, he threw it straight to Raul Jimenez. When, when he was trying to throw it out to my target at left back. Fucking hell. Adoma, Delat, Elphick, Yerenik, Aldershot, Toynes, Rosk, McCormack, Mika Richards, <laughs> Shibola, Whelan. You used to call Whelan the shadow because balls used to go through him. At least shadows fucking move. <laughs> like, imagine these boys in the Premier League. Fuck me. We would have gotten through a handful of podcasts before I was banged up for fratricide. We'd be doing a very underwhelming championship podcast now. Imagine trying to talk about fucking Barnsley and Rotherham or whoever we be playing every week in the championship with, with all these players. Nobody is tuning in for that. Imagine trying to do a podcast where Brickyard Bjarnason's your best player. <laughs> Respect. Respect the Iceman. <laughs> oh, God. Bad days. Bad days. Like, a, yeah. You know, like, that's the thing. Everybody, everybody take a chill pill. We talked about this before. The squad is mid table. Like you've heard you've heard our thoughts on this. Like we're not happy at how things have been going. Um, especially with some of the players, but it's a mid table squad at the minute. So until we have a squad that we can all agree on that's going to be or that should be better than that, you know, then we can really start it's not like we're waiting for it, but like, you know, we, we can start judging him fairly. Like at the minute, I think he's been fairly judged. He's he's doing well. And now when we have a squad that should be top six next year, well, hopefully we do. Then that's a big challenge. Let, let's go for it. But um, he's not he's not underperforming at the minute. The last seventeen games, like I mentioned, have not been good. But um, that was great tonight. <laughs> so let's uh, let's just relax. Hold fire on the Graham Potter stuff. Like it, this is just short term recency bias stuff. He had a big result there against Man City last night, so everybody just pulled that trigger. I don't think I don't think he'll be mentioned in any wish lists in the long term. Um. And my wish is that we keep having more nights like this. One more game to go. By fuck, we've made it. And we've made it to the end of this marathon podcast. And you thought we couldn't do it, being positive. (laughs) Well, we did. See you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.